everybody. How are you doing? Great. I love it. We are off to a good start today. It is good to see you here. Glad you've joined us for church. God is moving in some special ways. We had a, a good number of folks baptized in last service. And today, I just want to invite you right now, as, as you even heard, uh, heard the crew say, hey, we want you to invest in your marriage. I want us to invest in our relationships today together in this space. As we dive into God's word, I want you to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 16. We want to see God do work in us through his word so that we get to be who he's called us to be, the church, his hands, his feet. So in 1 Corinthians 16, now I want you to put your finger there and I want you to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Because today we are beginning our, our descent into the end of the book of Corinthians. Today and next week we wrap up this series, Restore, as we walk verse by verse through the book of Corinthians. And today we get to talk about relationships. But I want to remind us as we end this how the letter of Corinth started. And so if you have 1 Corinthians chapter 1 pulled up on your phone or iPad or you have it with your, your, your physical Bible, I invite you to stand with me for the reading of God's word. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, starting in verse 1. Paul, called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and our brother Sosthenes, to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, what? Together. Called to be saints, what? Together. And with all those who in every what? Grace. Call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and and ours. You may be seated. This is the word of the Lord. I want you to notice as Paul begins his letter, and, and we'll get to 16 in just a moment, that Paul is writing to the church of God that's in Corinth. It's been sanctified, meaning it's been made holy. It's been set apart for the works of Christ. And he says, called to be saints together, not only in that local context in the church of Corinth, but notice what he says, all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul begins his letter to the Corinth to talk about relationships and how we are to work together, interconnected, interdependent, his people. This is what the church is. It is a group of people gathered together who have been sanctified, who have been saved, who have been set apart for the works of God. That's simply it. The church is not the program. The church is not the building. The church is not anything that goes on other than look around the room. The brothers and sisters in this place that call on the name of Jesus. Y'all are the church. Y'all are the church. And it's held together by relationships. But there's something that happened in the church in Corinth because they have a whole host of issues that they have to deal with that Paul specifically writes that we've been walking through over the past few months, dealing with the issues and seeing how what happened in their church, how God can apply that so that we can see growth and transformation. And ultimately, what's the name of this series? Restore. See, restoration take place in our lives and in the world around us for the name and the glory and the fame of Jesus Christ. That's what Paul is running towards. But I want us to understand something this morning, that there can be no restoration without the resurrection. There can be no restoration without the resurrection. The past few weeks, we have been walking through this incredible proclamation of what the gospel is and the power of the resurrection. So powerful, it says, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? 
This bold declaration of hope and power in Jesus Christ is found in the resurrection. And we have to understand that apart from the power of the resurrection, we cannot be restored to one another. We cannot see God move in the ways that he wants to move in and through us if the resurrection is not the key focus for us. I want to share something with you, slightly embarrassing, which seems to be the MO when I get to talk with you. There's usually something I get to share with you that says, huh, this guy's interesting. I want you to know that I have a love for denim button-up shirts. A deep love, so much so that I love my Canadian tuxedo. Denim on denim, can I get an amen in the room? No? Okay, just mockery. Great. Awesome. I love denim. And I have one favorite denim shirt, a light wash denim, pearl snap. Oh, man, it's so good. And there happened to be this moment recently. You know that moment when your spouse or someone you love comes to you and you see like this is going to be a loving conversation, but you're about to get handed some truth that's going to change some things. You know what I'm talking about? My wife came to me recently and she said, Luke, that shirt, it's a Friday only shirt. And I was like, what's what? And she goes, honey, you have ripped holes all over that denim shirt because I wear it like Linus in my safety blanket all the time. It's got some grill marks on it from the grill leaning over it. Like it's just, it's a hot mess of a shirt and it has been torn and it is my Friday only shirt now. And that grieves me because it has been torn in two. I mean, like a moment of sadness collective. Can we just say, aw? Oh, thanks, guys. I appreciate you sharing with that grief moment with me. Uh, but it is ruined, right? A piece of fabric, when it is torn into, can my denim shirt, can I snap my finger and it just put itself back together? No. I know that sounds ridiculous. But what we understand is that fabric that has been torn cannot put itself back together unless someone binds them together with new threads. Fabric, once it's ripped apart, it cannot put itself back together. Someone outside of itself has to come and sew it back together to put a patch to mend it. The power of the resurrection is the fuel for us to see relationships mended and restored. Paul has been writing about this for the church in Corinth from the very beginning all the way through this book. He is writing the story and the thread that he is weaving is the thread of the gospel to mend broken hearts and relationships, to see them restored. So I want you to see this as he goes on in 1 Corinthians 10, uh, 1 Excuse me, chapter 1, verse 10, he says, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you may all agree and that there be no divisions among you, but that you may be united in the same mind, in the same judgment. For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you, my brothers. He's writing to them and he's like, in some ways, baffled, blown away that these Church members, these people who've gathered, who've been saved and sanctified by the Lord Jesus Christ, there's division that's being reported among them. And he goes on, there's quarreling. You guys are fighting amongst yourselves. This is not what the church is supposed to be about. The relationships have been torn in two. And the only way possible for restoration to take place is for the power of the resurrection, the gospel, the good news of what God has done to redeem us to himself and to one another to begin to mend and to pull the relationships back together to see true, godly, biblical restoration. I want us to see and be reminded as you go to 1 Corinthians 16 now, as we go to our main text for today. 
If that's the tension point for us, that there is division among the church, I want you to begin thinking and praying, God, is there division? Is there quarreling? Is there something in my life right now that is not of you? Is there some place where restoration is needed in my life so that the gospel continues to go forward in and through the way I live, speak, all of the things that encompass my life? That's the prayer that we're beginning to pray as we look at 1 Corinthians 16. So I want you to read along with me starting in verse 1. It says, Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the church of Galatia, so you are also to do on the first day of every week. Each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper, so that there will be no collecting when I come. And when I arrive, I will send those whom you accredited by letter to carry your gift to Jerusalem. And if it seems advisable that I should go also, they will accompany me. Now, this passage may be interesting for us. You may be seeing, hearing this passage and reading it for yourself going, what does that have to do now with resurrection? We just came out of this incredible passage in chapter 15. Why is he talking about taking a collection in Galatia and sending money back to Jerusalem? What is going on? I want you to see clearly that the resurrection is the fuel for the mission. That the power of the resurrection is the fuel for the mission, for the name and the fame of Jesus to be spread all across the world. We have to be reminded that Paul is writing to a church in Corinth while he's staying in Ephesus in this Mediterranean area. And what we're about to be reminded of is that this mission is to go from city to city to city to city to city to city, seeing lives transformed and disciples made followers of Jesus. And Paul, as this apostle, is carrying the name of Jesus and raising up disciples, local churches, people who love one another and are having impact in their communities. And he's beginning to show them how they are connected, not just in their local communities, but to this broader. Because do you remember what the prayer was at the very beginning? He said this. He said that in every place, in every place, we would see the gospel go forward. Local, global, everywhere that we would see this take place. But resurrection is the fuel for mission, meaning how are we being people who are generous, people who are giving? If you notice in the passage, he says, make sure you give on the first day of each week and put aside some of this money and store it up. Pull that collection together, raise your money, have a pool of resources that can help fuel the mission because of what Jesus has done. And he says, as he may prosper, so there'll be no collecting when he comes. I want us to take a quick couple notes. When we talk about generosity, generosity is rhythmic and generosity is a response to God's blessing in your life. Generosity is rhythmic and generosity is a response to God's blessing in your life. These are just facts that we see throughout the gospel, throughout the scriptures, that when we give, this is the heart of God. It's rhythmic in its response. It's rhythmic in its response because we are reminded that God has redeemed us to himself so that we can be a part of the work of God redeeming everyone else to himself through us, through his people, through his church. We get to be a part of the ministry. And what he's doing in this passage, I want us to just clearly see this, is he is weaving this thread of the gospel, interconnecting churches in Galatia while he's preaching currently in Ephesus, writing to a church in Corinth. Do you see how kind of uh, potentially messy this is? This is the reality. Our church, Chapel Point, does not just exist on its own here in West Michigan. We are part of something much bigger, capital C Church. God's kingdom come and God's will be done, and we get to play a little part of that. 
a little part of that, to see God move in us and through us so his name is made much of. And we see Paul's writing to this, let there be no division among you, and he paints a picture of what it looks like. Once we understand the reality of the gospel, it means we are living on mission together with our finances, with our time, with our energy, when we are in relationships with one another. This shows the world the power of the resurrection. Shows the power of the resurrection. So I want us to continue to move on and notice something here. As we talk about relationships and this generosity and this interconnectedness, it's not about the money. It's about what they get to do together. We need to understand that ministry moves at the speed of relationships. The ministry moves at the speed of relationships. He says this in verse 5. I'll visit with you after passing through Macedonia, for I intend to pass through Macedonia, and perhaps I'll stay with you or even spend the winter so that you may help me on my journey wherever I go. For I do not want to see you now just in passing. I hope to spend time with you, if the Lord permits, but I will stay in Ephesus until Pentecost, for the wide door of effective work has opened to me, and there are many adversaries." There are many adversaries. As Paul continues in this passage, we begin to see, uh, it's almost like we jumped into a family group text. You know, like holiday season is quickly around the corner. Maybe your family group text has started just like mine. Like, hey, what are your plans for the holidays? You know, we're thinking about this. What are you thinking about? Anybody have that? Like the family group text, like what's everybody doing? Yep. So it's that time. Everybody, we looks like we jumped into one of those moments here where Paul is having a conversation with this church in Corinth to try to figure out some details. But what is really happening is he is building relationship bridges with this church who has had issue after issue after issue. And he's building those relationship bridges because for ministry to move effectively and have impact, it all depends on trust, relationships, communication, all these things that we know make healthy relationships We see them at play in the church right here, and we need to continually be reminded of those, sharpened and encouraged in these spaces. He said, and we got to be reminded, as he paints this picture of what communication, what ministry looks like, he says, here's what we're thinking about doing. Notice in the passage, he's he's communicating these plans. I want to visit with you as I pass through Macedonia. So he's moving from Ephesus, going around part of the Mediterranean, going through Macedonia, all the way down to Corinth. So he's communicating, hey, here's the game plan. Here's what we're going to do. Then he begins to dream with them a little bit. This is the fun stuff of ministry. When you actually begin to talk with other people and you begin to get to know other people, you begin to dream, hey, what would this look like? Could you imagine if God did this? What would it really be like if we tried to do these things differently? This is the fun and beautiful stuff because resurrection is the fuel for the mission. They began to dream a little bit. Did you see it there with me? He says, perhaps I'll spend some time with you, maybe even the winter, because you may help me on my journey wherever I go. So the next part of the step, Paul doesn't say, hey, I need you to help me get to this. I want you to help me wherever I may go. There seems to be this conversation among them to realize they're trying to follow the Lord's will. It even says in this verse, at the tail end of verse 7, it says, if the Lord permits. This reality, this understanding that God is the one guiding and directing and leading the ministry. And it's moving at the speed of relationships. I want us to understand something as we think about relationships. It is quality and quantity of time together. 
It's quality and it's quantity of time together. Paul doesn't just rush past a moment. He says, I want to stay with you. He says in verse 7, I don't want to just pass through you and just say, hey, guys, good luck. You know, have a good day. He wants to share life with them, deep, abiding relationship with this church, with these group of people that are in this place that have had lots of issues. This is the heart of a shepherd, someone who loves his people. I want us to be reminded this morning that everything that we are hearing from Paul right now is the heart of God. And you think about this for a moment, for God so loved the world that he For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. He gave his only son to come spend time here on earth, to spend time with a group of people. Jesus wrapped humanity around himself and stood in time with a group of people. And in fact, this is the heart of God because it's repeated over and over again throughout the passage that these are my people and I will dwell with them, and they will dwell with me. It's how the book of Revelation ends. I will be their God, and they will be my people. John 15, we hear the passage, abide in me, for apart from me you can do nothing. This is the heart of God, that quality and quantity of time together would bring deep, rich, life-giving relationships. And when those things happen, God is glorified. When we understand the mission, we understand how we are to connect in the midst of it. This is what it looks like. Paul is painting a beautiful picture for us, what ministry partner looks like. And it moves at the speed of those relationships. You and I get to echo these ideas. We get to live these out with one another in our contexts as we walk forward. I want you to look at something that's interesting in this passage in verse 9. He's making these plans. He's writing this letter, beginning to dream about what future ministry looks like. But something changes as he's writing. In verse 9, he says, For a wide door for effective work has opened to me. For a wide door for effective work has opened. So he's saying to the church in Corinth, Here's my plan, but i got to stay here a little bit longer. I want to be with you and I want to do this work of ministry to see your church get healthy and strong and be vibrant like it's meant to be. But a wide door of effective ministry is keeping me here right now in this season. We need to be reminded that God works in the interruptions. God works in the pivots. God works in the changes even when they seem to not make sense. It reminds me as Paul's writing to this church, just it sounds like business. It sounds like we're just coordinating calendars and details, but God is at work in those details because Jesus himself, as he was going from Bethlehem all the way to 33 plus years later when he dies on the cross in Jerusalem, there is this journey that Jesus takes and constantly God is showing up and Jesus is doing incredible ministry in the interruptions. As he's going from place to place, you think about John 4, the woman at the well. Seems like an interruption, but there God shows up and a life is changed. You think about Jesus walking with his disciples and there's a crowd gathered around him and there's a woman who's been having a bleeding issue for years and years and years. And she has enough faith and enough audacity to say, if I can just get near enough to Jesus and touch the hem of his garment, I, maybe I can be healed 
And in that moment, instead of continuing to walk, when just something barely brushes by, he stops. He acknowledges her and he looks at her and he says, your woman, your faith has made you well. Go and sin no more. Jesus shows up in the interruptions with a wee little man named Zacchaeus. You remember this story? He's walking from point A to point B and there happens to be a man in a tree because that's what normal men do to talk to other men is hop in trees, correct? I agree. And he's interrupted and he goes and has a meal. So not only does he stop in a moment, he changes his entire itinerary for that day. God shows up and if there's a wide open door for effective ministry, we have the passionate response of, of listening and working in that space as God opens up the door of ministry. So I just have that question for you. Maybe you need to write this down. What wide open door for effective ministries God have open for you right now? Maybe there's a relationship. Maybe there's a friendship. Maybe there's something at work. Maybe there's a unique opportunity that's ahead of you. In fact, even today, there's a lot of opportunities for you to be on mission with us as a church as we roll out our new mission trips for 2024 today. So you'll be able to see more information about those. There are unique opportunities for effective ministry and it can look different for everybody. And it may just happen to be in the interruptions. It may happen in the places that you least expected that God shows up and does something unbelievable in this space. And I just want to be reminded of that as scripture in a passage that may seem unique and like, uh, what's, what's, th- what's this passage mean for me? Because I'm just hearing people talk about places and names and uh, what is this for me? Is there a wide open door for effective ministry for you today? And as we think about ministry moving at the speed of relationships, I just want to say it in a different way for us this morning. The ministry begins and ends with relationships. Ministry begins and ends with relationships because we see this in the next part of the passage starting in verse 10. When Timothy comes, see that you put him at ease among you for he's doing the work of the Lord as I am. So let no one despise him, help him on his way in peace that he may return to me. I'm expecting him with the brothers and going into verse 12. Now concerning our brother Apollos, I strongly urged him to visit you with the other brothers, but it was not his, at, excuse me, it was not at all his will to come now. He will come when he has opportunity. Ministry begins and ends with relationship. Paul is reminding them of some people that he mentioned earlier in 1 Corinthians 1.10. He talks about, some of you say, I follow Paul or I follow Apollos. Again, Paul is bringing everything back together, weaving the thread of the gospel to see relationships mended and restored in a local context so that local context can have massive ripple effects for the kingdom of God. He's at work in all these conversations and he's coming full circle. He writes to them about a young disciple, Timothy. In fact, there's letters written to Timothy in the New Testament where Paul is mentoring and he's encouraging him and he's sharpening Timothy. And he even says something similar that's said in this letter. He says, let no one despise you for your youth, but set an example in your love, your speech, your faith, your conduct, and your purity. This young leader is being discipled by Paul, and now he's being sent to Corinth as he's going by, continuing to advance the gospel. And he reminds this church that we are all in this together. It's not just Paul serving and raising up Timothy to be the man of God that he is. It's Paul plus the church in Corinth, because he says, do not let anyone despise him. Did you see that in that passage? Verse 11, let no one despise him. Help him on his way. We get to serve one another, to raise one another up, 
to spur one another on to see the future generation and the next pastors and missionaries and leaders and kids directors and youth pastors, everything under the sun, worship leaders, figure out, uh, name, name a role that we need raised up in the church because we need all of them. We collectively, the church of Jesus Christ, we get to play our part. It's not just one of our pastoral teams pouring into somebody. It's us, us doing the work together. Do you remember the last time that I was up here and we were walking through the word of God? That you came this morning, not to just receive something, but you came this morning to give something to one another. You are here today to do ministry together because ministry moves at the speed of relationships and it begins and it ends with relationships. You didn't come to just watch. You came to participate. You are here in this place to serve one another Build one another up so that we can be sent out for the power of the gospel. That's what we get to do. That's why we're here. For the glory of God, that would be the outcome of all of these things. And he goes on to talk about Apollos. He's just talking about, hey, how do we care for one another? We're reminding each other of how to serve, to encourage one another, to make some plans together. Because we get to walk in relationship with one another because of what God has done for us. So I want to ask you a question. How are you caring for the people around you? How are you caring for the people around you? And for some of us, that can be our friends, that can be our immediate family, that can be the people you work with. I want you to be reminded that when we think about our neighbors, it's not just the people right next to us. It's whoever, whoever God brings in front of us at any given moment. That is our neighbor. Those are the people that we are called to love and serve. How are you caring for them? Because how you care for others reveals your faith. How you care for one another reveals your faith. And that does not mean you just stay like this and you care deeply for these people. But we're reminded that for God so loved the what? For God so loved the what? That he gave his one and only son. That God so loved everyone. 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 Every color. Every nationality. Every tribe. Every struggling. And every person who we think has success. God loves everyone. Everyone. And how we care for the others, other people around us reveals our faith. It reminds me of James chapter 2 verse 14 through 17. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warm and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Faith without works is dead, meaning if we don't care for one another well and we don't walk in deep relationships, understanding that the resurrection is the fuel for restoration and resurrection is the, the fuel for the mission and that when we're called to be generous and we're called to be people-oriented and people-first, we're missing the mark. I love how Rich Mullins, an old singer-songwriter, used to say, he said, faith without works is like a screen door on a submarine. Faith without works is like a screen door on a submarine. It is useless. It's useless. So how are you caring for others? Because ultimately it's revealing your faith. Ultimately it's revealing what you know and understand about the gospel and the power of the resurrection. It's showing 
the world around you, do you actually believe what you say you believe? Because Jesus himself, God of very God, gave everything for everyone. What are we doing about it, church? What are we doing about it, church family? And this is in the small moments that no one sees, and this is in the big moments that anyone and everyone could see. What are we doing with our faith? How is it having an impact in our community and the ripples across the world? The reality of the gospel is this. We are sinners. And because of that sin, we are torn in two. Our relationship with God is ripped apart because of the sin in our life. Did you know that when Father, Son, and Holy Spirit created humanity, we were created in the image of God, the Imago Dei, that we were meant to walk in deep relationships? But what is the first sin that we see coming out of the fall? There's tension between Adam and Eve, and there is the first murder between a brother and a brother. The first ripple effects that we see of sin are broken relationships between God, between one another, and ultimately internally. Like sometimes we just feel broken and we like, I can't even think straight sometimes because of the effects of sin. But the power of the gospel is mending and weaving those relationships back together first with God and with one another and then within ourselves to understand that we are created in the image of God only way our torn relationships can be mended is by the power of the resurrection. It's by the power of the resurrection. This is the only way, only way our torn relationships can come back together. And here's what I want to do. I want to simply invite you to respond to the gospel today. I want to, I want to invite you to receive this truth that though you and I were sinners, completely separated from God, completely walking away, choosing our own paths and our own will. God in his graciousness and his kindness and his love is pulling us back into relationship, mending that which was torn. Because did you know that that wide open door of effective ministry is exactly what Jesus has done for us? John 14, six tells us, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. The doorway into salvation and right relationship with the God who created us, who formed us with his hand and breathed his spirit into us, is through the work of Jesus Christ. His death, where he took my sins and your sins and bore them on the cross, where his blood poured out and he gave his last breath. That was our sin and he took it on that cross. And he buried those sins deep in the grave. Nothing comes back from the grave, right? It's the place where it all ends, right? No, it is not. It is not where it ends because of what? Because of the resurrection. The resurrection is real. Jesus is alive. Eyewitnesses saw him. The resurrection is real. Life can change. Because of what God has done. 
And that resurrection is the fuel that is restoring relationship. Praise be to God. Praise be to God. And we get to be a part of it. Because he's restored us in relationship with him through the gospel. Death, burial, resurrection. He's restored us in relationship and we get to walk in that. Today we're going to respond to the gospel. Today we get to respond to the gospel, the power of the resurrection. We get to celebrate baptisms in just a few moments. Where we celebrate this picture that people died to their sins because Jesus took them and they get to walk in a new life. Woo! That's some good stuff, y'all. And if you know that that's the next step you need to take, we want to baptize you now, today. Do not wait. We would be, it would be a joy and an honor because you are making a bold declaration, a testimony of, that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life, and the resurrection is real. Amen? Amen. We get to celebrate through communion in just a moment to remember Christ's body broken for us and his blood poured out for us. And because of that, we are free and forgiven. We get to take a moment and worship, giving God praise and thanks as we reflect on that. And I want to do something today as we wrap up. And as we get space to respond, I want to invite you to pray. If you need prayer, we got a group of folks at Green Lanyards, our pastors and some other ministry leaders. We want to invite you, if you just need someone to pray with you. I don't know what you're going through, there's been some heavy stuff in our church family these past few, few weeks. If you just need someone to pray with you, we would love to pray with you. If you're hearing me talk and you're like, I still, I don't know what this Jesus thing is and what he's talking about, the power of resurrection, and you want to know more and you want to take a step to be a transformed follower of Jesus, we want to invite you to come and talk and pray with one of us, ask some questions. We have our team up here. Let's respond and do ministry together in this space. If you need to pray with some friends or spouse or your kids, this is a time as we sing and as we worship through baptisms and communion. This is an opportunity for us to respond to the power of the gospel. To be restored, to be reminded that the resurrection is the fuel for the mission. The resurrection is the fuel for our lives. Because Jesus is risen, everything changes. Everything changes. And so we get to passionately respond today in these moments. And we are here to serve you, to pray with you, to celebrate with you, to be reminded that we get to do this together, to see God weave our broken relationships back together by the power of the gospel so that he alone is glorified. Let's pray. God, we thank you for today. You alone are worthy, O oh God. You alone are worthy, O oh God. There is no other name by which we can be saved in the name of Jesus Christ, his death, burial, and resurrection. And so, God, we simply come and respond. Holy Spirit, fill this place, fill our hearts and our minds that we cannot ignore you now. That your call to repentance would be irresistible. That your call to your grace would just invite us in. The word, your word tells us that it's your kindness that leads us to repentance. So God, would we be reminded of your kindness, your love, your grace, your mercy. God, it's something we don't deserve, but God, we say thank you. So Lord, as we remember your body broken and your blood poured out, 
Would you be glorified in our hearts and our minds and ultimately through the way that we live in relationship with one another. We pray this in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Amen.